Good to go, Amal? Yeah. Quick, uh, yeah. Three, two, one. Welcome once again to another 32 Thoughts interview podcast, presented as always by GMC and the new Sierra AT4X, Merrick Friedman, and our producer, Amal Delich. Our guest this week, Elliot, never drafted in junior, never drafted in the NHL, has always been a walk-on wherever he's gone, but as he walks on, he quickly distinguishes himself as one of the best players on just about every single team he's part of. Our guest today is Mark Giordano of the Toronto Maple Leafs. Now, we sat down with Mark Tuesday at the Toronto Maple Leafs practice facility, and I like this guy a lot. I always have, whether it's him playing with the Owen Sound attack, whether it's him playing in the AHL with the Lowell Lock Monsters, great name, or the Omaha Axar Ben Knights. I know you're saying, what does Axar Ben mean? Well, it's Nebraska backwards, or the Calgary Flames, the Seattle Kraken, or most recently, the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's always been someone I've really enjoyed watching. Elliot, your thoughts on Mark Shardano. You think about it, he played his first full season in the NHL, like his first full 82-game season in Mm 2009-10. And at that point, he was 26 years old. And now, he's still going at age 39, and he's almost at 1,100 games. It's amazing. I'm trying to think how many people have had a career arc like that. Like, they started that late, were really broken and made it that late, and still lasted as long as he did. It's really an incredible story. And that's what I think about when I think about him. And uh, it was driven to me earlier this season when the team was really struggling. They were not doing well, and he basically carried their blue line. He was their best blue liner at a time they were really thin. And that's when I was kind of reminded that he may be 39 years old, but he's still got a lot to give. Sure does. Still a lot of hockey to play this season and subsequent seasons as well. But there may be a twist to that one that you'll find out a little bit later on in the podcast. Before we get going, though, a number of people to thank. want to start with Steve Keogh of the Toronto Maple Leafs for helping make this interview happen. Brody Palango of the Alumni Association for hanging around and letting us use the alumni space. Thank you very much, Brody. Uh, Our crew, Mark Utley, Michael Attic, Adrian Chetty, and Stephen Coyle. You guys make our job so much easier than Elliot and I deserve. Thank you, thank you, a million times, thank you. Uh So here he is, Mark Giordano of the Toronto Maple Leafs on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. Mark, we're in the offices of the NHL alumni right now. Over there is a lovely picture of Jean Beliveau behind Elliot and I. There's uh, autographed jerseys of the, the famous Detroit production line. When you're in a place like this, surrounded with history and great pictures of legends of, of the game, what goes through your mind? Just the history, just knowing, uh, I think back to like myself and when I grew up and all yep. the the stars that I watched in, in the era, I think me thinking back, that's a little further back. Uh, that's more <laughs> of my dad's era, but uh, guys like Gretzky, Lemieux, yeah. Doug Gilmore, Wendell Clark, more in Toronto when I grew up, I, I just think of all all the history and how much uh, it meant for me watching those guys growing up. Who's your favorite player growing up? It was Doug Gilmore for sure when the Leafs, I was obviously being from here uh, and they were going on those runs in, you know, 93 and 94 when they lost in the conference finals both years. Um, but then as I, I grew older and started appreciating uh, my position more in defense, <laughs> uh, 
I would go like Ray Bork was one one guy I really looked up to, and then Nick Lidstrom. Uh, you know, as I got uh, you know into junior and stuff, old enough to understand uh, the ins and outs of the game, and then it's pretty cool to play against them too. My first few years. Did you ever line up next to him or stand next to him on the ice and say, you know, you were my favorite player when I was growing up? <laughs> I couldn't oh. speak. You know, I couldn't speak, but I <laughs> I lined up across from him. Uh, we actually played him playoffs one year in uh calgary we played detroit i think it was that would have been my first playoffs mm. ever and uh i mean i remember looking across at that lineup and they had hashik and net they had datsuk zetterberg it was cool but he's the one guy who i i always looked up to and uh yeah it was sort of the one guy you were out there and you're like you're in awe playing against them i'm always curious as a defenseman you look at nick from play like there are things that stand out to us. Oh, watch him walk the line, get a shot yeah. through. Like, what was it about Lidstrom for you that as a defenseman you looked at and you said, wow, that's incredible? Just how efficient, how easy he made it seem like uh, on breakouts and stuff. And uh, I remember like dumping pucks into his corner. He'd just go back and every single time he'd break it out clean, it seemed like. So, yeah, but the one that does stand out, like you said, is the walking the line and being able to hit Holmstrom for a tip or, or score himself a lot of the time. But uh, I would say... Uh, uh, just watching how easy it didn't seem like he was sweating out there most of the time and breaking it out was so easy for him. So when you first got recognized and sort of scouted and, and brought into the OHL, I talked to someone last night who said the thing about Giordano was he played in this tiny rink in Brampton. You know the one I'm talking <laughs> yeah, about? Exactly. Really small. And the puck would go into his corner and he had like no time but he would always break the puck out clean. He would take the hit to make the play. You were the Lidstrom of Brampton <laughs> yeah. Hawks. You were the Nick Lidstrom. What do you remember from those days? Because that, oh, that was your calling. Like, he'll take the hit. He'll always make the play. Yeah, you know what's funny? I played in a little rink, and uh, I played in St. Mike's growing up too. I played for the North York Canadians when I was young, and yeah. I played in Brampton. And I do think it helps uh, you get used to that, like playing the, in those close quarters and making plays under yeah. pressure. So... Uh, I don't remember breaking it all clean every time, but I do remember. Uh, I remember our our squad was pretty pretty stacked. We won uh, the whole thing that year. We didn't get to go to the what's it called when uh, the junior team wins the RBC and out out east. The RBC Cup is yeah. that mm-hmm. we didn't get to go because there was some dispute going on that year, which was really disappointing. But we ran through the league pretty good and. Uh, uh, I just remember it was a lot of fun, and yeah, the old Brampton Memorial, what a rink. It's, it's, I mean, you can legit score from center, so if you have a good shot, so it was good. So did you play in minor hockey? Did you play with any other guys who made it or play against any other guys who made it? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, growing up, Trevor Daly, Carlo Koliakovo, Spez, Jason Spezza, yeah. they were all of my age, Matt Stajan. So we had, a, we had a pretty good class, I think, of 83s in the, in the MTHL back then. Now it's the GTHL, but... It was really competitive, and uh, a lot of good players, I think, came out of it. Who was the best player back uh, then? It was Spaz. It was Spaz. <laughs> yeah. I, I figured when you said him, it had to. So what was he like as a 13-, 14-year-old to play against? So when we were really young, he uh, he was sort of like a tall, skinny, like had to fill into his body. And then I think like there was a switch. It was like when we were either 12 or 13, he just took off and uh, much like he is still, <laughs> like super skilled, uh, saw the game really well made plays everywhere he but he was he was head and shoulders above everyone else so like I, one of the things i'm curious about like mark by now everybody kind of knows your route here like yeah. you're talking about jason spezza extremely high pick carlo koliakovo i think everybody knew he was going to play matt stajan was a pretty high pick so when you made it to the nhl i'm curious like what did those guys all say to you 
they all say the same thing. They're like, man, you weren't that good when we were younger. <laughs> but they're like, basically, like, where did you come from sort of thing? But no, I mean, I, I could hold my own, but I definitely was never like the top player on my team or anything like that. And then I think my game really came around after I went to Own Sound and played junior and then took off. I'm just wondering, like, in the, in the NHL, like, the, oh, yeah, first they time, chirp, they chirp. the first time you saw Stage in or Koliakovo, Spetsa doesn't seem like the kind of guy to do that. Yeah. Right? But what, like, what would they say to you when they first saw you in Calgary? Yeah, they're just like, you know, you weren't that good when you were young. And they're like, wow, you really turned it around. But no, I, um, I can't remember, like, where I would stand on my team as far as, like, defensemen when I was that young. Like, I, I still like to think I would be top three or four defensemen on uh, on our team. But yeah, it didn't stand out like any of those guys did as at that young of an age. But as we got older, for sure, uh, sort of changed. You did an Owen Sound. I mean, you came in as a 19-year-old and you played 19 and 20 there. Yeah. Um, like you, you stood out like by Christmas. Yeah. Everyone was saying, okay, the Giordano kid is the best player on the team. Like he's yeah. the best defenseman on the team, best player on the team. Yeah, but I think also going in at a, as a 19-year-old, people are also expecting you to be to be good. Right. So mm -hmm. I think, um, you know, that's probably obviously a big reason why I wasn't drafted. You're older, but I played tier two when I was, uh, 18 in Brampton on the Capitals and had a really good year there. So yeah. there was like, you know, like whispers to me <laughs> that I might get drafted in a later round that just as a flyer, someone take like a, a pick on me, but, uh, didn't happen. And it actually turned out better being a free agent. Your story is a fascinating one because not drafted in the OHL, not drafted into the, the NHL. And Elliot and I were talking about this I guess like a couple of years ago that in everyone's career, you face a moment where you say to yourself, here's my decision. I either quit or I work harder. Yeah. And it seemed every time you were faced with that decision, you chose to work harder. And it got you to Owen Sound. And it got you to Lowell. And it got you to Omaha. And it got you to Calgary, et cetera, et cetera. Were you ever yeah. close to saying maybe I'm going to make the other decision. Not really, but I was, there was points like there's, you know, when I first started playing, honestly, I was like, man, if I can figure out a way to play pro hockey long enough to get myself, you know, a nice house, it would be pretty cool. And then, and then all of a sudden uh, my three-way contract that I started with turned into a two-way. <laughs> yeah. And then I got some NHL games and you're like, you start getting greedy, right? You're like, oh man, now if I can get a nice house paid off, a car and, uh, <laughs> you know, a bit of money in the bank, it's it's pretty cool. And then as you get older and you keep playing against these guys, you believe in yourself. Like I started believing in myself more and more, especially, you know, after I went to Russia and came back, I really had a lot of confidence. But uh, then it just starts becoming about like, I'm going to get this contract. But also as you get older, you're you're well aware that, winning is is so yeah. important and it becomes more and more important so you establish you're trying to establish yourself in the league get your foot in there and 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 make <laughs> a living for yourself basically and then i think after that everything else comes but for the young guys now it's like they're expecting to play i was just like oh man i gotta make the hl i gotta make the, the nhl was like off in the distance but then when you you get there you you realize you can play and you start getting more and more greedy. Can I ask you one quick question about the KHL? Because you were, to my mind, correct me if I'm, I'm wrong here, and Elliot, chime in on this too. I remember when you went to the KHL and you came back. In my mind, you were the first player, first North American player that left North America, went to the KHL, and came back better. Yeah. That never happens. Like, what was the KHL experience like for you? Because you came back and it was like, Jordano's on a different planet now. Yeah, I, I mean, 
I, I agree. I think I felt way better. I felt more confident for sure. But I was playing like 25 minutes, especially in playoffs there. I was playing 25 to 30 a night. Yeah. A pretty good league with a lot of skilled players. It was like, I was getting a lot of experience just in, in working my game. And uh, I don't know. I think some of it has to do too. Like I went pretty young. Uh, most guys, when they go over there, it might be on the back end of their career uh, or they can't really find a job uh, over here. So that it's like sort of at the end. But for me, it was, uh, yeah, it was right in the middle of like, man, am I going to make a living doing this uh, or am I going to have to go to work or <laughs> maybe I can go to Europe and make a living. So a lot of different factors went into it, but I did feel way better as a player. And I, I also felt more confident coming back. I mean, Daryl in Calgary, you know, he was like, we'll sign you to one way. And I'm like, oh, perfect. And he was like, but you, we, we have to sign you for three years. And I didn't really understand what he was saying at the time. What he was saying basically was they were taking away some of my UFA years, but I was like, perfect. I'll take the three years. <laughs> You're the worst negotiator ever. <laughs> Was Sutter the first guy who ever told you you were going to make it? Yeah, he was awesome because he was fair. Like, he was like, he called us all in. I remember there was first rounders, uh, second rounders, and then the undrafted guys. We were all in the same room, all the rookies. And he goes, I don't care who's drafted where. If you're good enough, you're going to play. And, you know, a lot of people say that, but he held he true to his word. Like, me and Richie Regeer, he was also undrafted. Robin's uh, brother, I believe he was undrafted. Mm-hmm. We were two of the first call-ups uh, from the HL as defensemen to play in, in Calgary just because of the performance base. One thing I wanted to ask you was, so on Monday night, we're here in Toronto, it's the Blue and White Gala, which is a, which is a really great charity event the Maple Leafs do. And one of the things they did, was, which was outstanding, was table reads of yeah. famous <laughs> movie scenes. <laughs> like John Tavares and Mitch Marner did a scene from The Notebook. They're also very irresponsible. I have a fiance waiting for me at the hotel who's going to be crushed when he finds out what I did. So you make love to me. Was that your plan? Was that a test I didn't pass? I made a promise to a man. He gave me a ring and I gave him my word. Well, your word is pretty shot to hell now. And uh, the Jerry Maguire, you had me at hello scene was Austin Matthews and William Nylander. And T.J. Brody did the famous Liam Neeson scene from Taken. And it's the most emotion I think T.J. Brody has ever shown. (laughs) And you did the big scene from Titanic with Michael Bunting where they're in the water. So my question to you, Mark, is when the Maple Leafs staff came to you and said, we want you to act as Rose from the Titanic, (laughs) what did you say to them? I said, absolutely. One of my favorite movies of all time. I mean, Titanic was awesome when it first came out. I remember going to the theater a few times and watching it, but uh, I was just happy that the line, my lines were short and bunts were paragraphs. So I was, uh, I was like, I'll take it. I have to say, I, I don't know how many NHLers I'd meet whose favorite movie was Titanic. I have, to tell you. I have no shame in saying that. It's come, it's coming out again. Uh, That's right. On the big screen soon. So Mike might have to go take the kids to watch it. Why not? Uh, it was a huge blockbuster when I was growing up. It was a huge movie. I wanted to ask you this when, when it happened. I never got a chance. What was it like having game number 1000 in Seattle? It was, You're close in Calgary. Yeah. And then. It was, I mean, they, they did an unbelievable job. Um, my dad actually was able to do like the voiceover for like the video, which was really cool. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't know anything about that. What is a thousand? It's a drop in the bucket of everything that came before. It's tens of thousands of hours dedicated to a dream. 
It's hitting the rink at 5 a.m. to get ice time before school. It's weekend tournaments when mom and dad drive you hours each way just to play. It's leaving home at 17 because that's the next step in the journey. It's giving up things because the game gives you everything. It drives you. It fills your thoughts and fuels fire inside that makes you believe that you belong in the NHL. If you do the math, it's 3,000 periods. It's 60,000 minutes of hockey. It's 2,000 hours of airline travel equating to a million miles on the road. It's 7,000 miles skated. That's like skating from Toronto to Calgary, back to Toronto, then here to Seattle. It's a thousand games, but it's more than that. Uh, my Obviously my parents were there, my sister was there. It was just a, a really cool experience. A little bit weird because if you guys remember correctly, I, I wasn't playing that game because yep. it was a trade deadline. Yep. But yeah, just the, the, the overall experience was, was great. Had my kids with me. But yeah, there's a lot of a lot of great memories, obviously, going back to Calgary. But the way Seattle treated me in that short time, I, I, I man, I, I love those guys over there for sure. Now, you, you've had like a couple of crazy years of transactions. <laughs> uh, you know, first you've got the the expansion draft. And then you had the deadline. Yeah. And which one was wilder, more taxing, more stressing? Which yeah. one of the two was was harder? I would say the, the the draft, the expansion draft for sure, just because I'd been in Calgary for so long. And uh, it was so weird. Like when they tell you, when people are like, oh, you knew you were going to Seattle. And I'm like, no, actually, I didn't write to the end. Like I had an idea that it might happen, but just never being on a different team, your whole career playing in one city. My kids were, were fairly settled at their schools and stuff. So I was like, okay, this is going to be a big transition for us. And it was, but, uh, you know, the few days leading up to that was pretty emotional having to leave uh, a city you've been for, I was there for 15 years. You know, one of the, my, one of my famous stories I remember about uh, you and your family in Calgary was the night before the NHL awards in Vegas, you're in Vegas and we all, the reporters, we thought you were a slam dunk for the Norris because we kind of all know how everybody votes. Yeah. But your brother-in-law came up to me and says, do you think that Mark's going to win? I go, I think he's going to win it by a mile. And I go, really? Because we all flew here and we're so nervous. We don't think <laughs> yeah. he's actually going to win. Yeah, like, no, <laughs> nobody wanted to jinx it. They were, they were talking. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I had a great year and I had a pretty good feeling about it, but you never know until till, till you're announced. What was that night like with your family? Where'd you take them for dinner? And what was that whole night like? Oh, it was amazing. It was one of the highlights of my career, obviously. Um, after winning the award, you go back and you take all the pictures. And that was like emotional and everyone was excited. And then I can't remember the name of the restaurant. It was in the casino where we were staying there at the wind. And we were just sitting. The, mm -hmm. I think it was like a group of 25 of us just hanging out and having some laughs and, and enjoying the night. And uh a lot of family, a lot of friends. It was just like really, really cool experience. Awesome. When I say the name Tom Webster, what comes to your mind? The late, great Tom Webster. Oh, I mean, uh, he's he's a big reason why I'm in the NHL. I think yeah. uh, I think the story goes that he was he was uh, scouting uh, Harvey uh, in Own Sound. Yep. And uh, yeah, he came and and saw me play and was was one of the 
one of the scouts or whatever his role was at the time who right. went went to bat for me and, and told he was in the coach's office after every game I was told <laughs> yeah and Giordano uh, Giordano 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 yeah if it weren't for him really if it's not for people like that along the way like especially when you're undrafted and you're not a well-known guy it it's not going to happen most of the time and uh, I mean I, I can't say enough great things about him what he meant and then after getting to meet him and just talking to him and trying to help me along with my game and where I needed help. He was huge for my career. Listen to 32 Thoughts, the podcast, ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Toronto. Okay. Seattle, did you know you were going to be a Leaf? Like, did you have an idea? So leading up to the deadline, I had an idea, obviously, but there's my agent kept telling me that, you know, there's three or four teams in the mix. I think it was, uh, you know, the Rangers, Carolina, teams like I Toronto. Heard Carolina. Yeah. yeah, and uh, I mean, I, you just don't believe it till it happens, but I was like, man, like, it would be a pretty good fit. I looked at, uh, I think Muzz was hurt at the time. I mm-hmm. think they had, a, like, a couple openings on the left side, and I'm like, it would be a great fit. And then for me personally, obviously – the transition couldn't be any easier like compared to the other teams. So uh, I was pretty excited. And then when I got the call, uh, Ron Francis called me in and uh, I was in the dressing room actually working out and he, he came down and he's like, if there's one place uh, you'd want to get traded, where would it be to? And I'm like, well, Toronto would be nice. <laughs> and he's like, I, I traded you to Toronto. So it was, so he's already done it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, I think Ron Francis had that kind of sense of humor. I think he kind of knew that I, I it was one of my preferred uh, teams. But, uh, yeah, it was it was a great day. And, and then, you know, the family gets catches wind and it was uh, everyone was excited. Like some players I know there who are from here, they're afraid to play here. They're worried about distractions. They're worried about, you know, the pressure of playing in the hometown. I was thinking, you know, you were post-35 at that time. Yeah. None of that stuff must have worried you. No, I, I mean, I, yeah, I think the point that I am at in my career, right? And, and uh, I mean, I could see as a young guy coming in here, there's a lot of pressure in being from here. But uh, for me, it's like, uh, it's exciting, it's like a celebration to play for the Leafs. You know what I mean? It's a it's a big deal. We were all Leaf fans uh, growing up, and there's those stressful moments anywhere you play. Like Calgary was stressful too at certain times, but I just I enjoy playing here, play hard, and I think uh, I've gained a real appreciation for the fan base here too because they appreciate guys who go out there and play play hard. You had you, you've won a Norris Trophy, so you've had great years. But I was talking to somebody about you saying we're going to interview you today, and he said to me that. Uh, Giordano's had points in his career where he's played better, but I don't know if he's ever had a point in his career where it was more important for him to play as well as he did at the beginning of this season. Like everybody was going down around you and you stepped up and, you know, he called it considering at what point you are in your career, some of the best hockey you've played. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I, I feel really good this year. I feel like the last few years were up and down, bump, little bumpy at times, but I feel, um, feel really confident in my game again. I feel like for me, games are always judged. Like a lot of people judge games and you guys know this based on goals and assists yes. and points. And I think for me, I realized fairly quickly here what kind of decor we have and what kind of offensive guys we have. And I'm going to be more in a shutdown defensive role, penalty kill role, which I'm really enjoying and I really try to embrace it. And, uh, I uh, feel really good. I, I feel physically as, as well as I have in, in years. 
I mean, not to say that I didn't feel good physically, but I mean, I have yep. that jump. I feel like I have jump and, and uh, reading plays the way the way I can, so I feel really good. Uh, oh, sorry. I asked I asked Sheldon if there was going to be any load management of you, and he said. You ask Mark Giordano that question. Yeah, basically, does. is what he said. <laughs> I don't. I don't. I'm not a big believer in load management, but uh, you guys need to stop bringing that up to him. So he take that thought out of his. Uh, Has he asked you about it? Oh, he's been great. He's always, you know, he's always saying like, if you need need a skate off or uh, you know some time or anything like that, he's like, you just let me know and we'll we'll manage it. And uh, we have done some things like there's we do a lot of like skill development and things before and after practice here where. Uh, you know, they'll tell me you're not going out for this and that, but there's certain things that I do that are part of my routine that I can't like get away from. And one of them is like our pregame skate, but our pregame skates here are like eight, nine minutes. So it's perfect. So (laughs) just to get loose and get warm and, and, uh, get the body going. Uh, I want to ask you about a record that's on the horizon. It's, uh, it's wonderful that you say that you're feeling good. And what I think makes that more impressive is how many times you've blocked a shot. <laughs> you're going to set the record. Oh, really? You're going to set the record. That's on the horizon. Would you only... like eight away from Chris Russell? Yeah. Or my buddy Russ, I'm going to take over his record. <laughs> you're, you're, you're taking over. Do you have a thought on that? Like, I know that there's a certain bench, right? We've talked a lot about the Norris Trophy and boxes that you check along the way. My first this, my first that, my yeah. first trophy, et cetera. For a record like that, I mean, that is, there's no school for blocking shots. Yeah. Like, there are ways you can learn and techniques. and But, I mean, a lot of it is Yeah, a, lot, guts, of it's, a right? lot of it's guts. Yeah, a lot of it's having the will to do it. I think playing on the penalty kill most of my career, you obviously have to block. If you're a defenseman and you don't block shots on the penalty kill, it's going in your net a lot because of the shooters we have in the game, uh, especially coming in off the half walls. So, no, I take a lot of pride in it. Uh, it's something I've always you know, felt like if the block's there, I'm going to take it. Sometimes you can get into trouble. You got to, you got to be aware of screening your goalie and stuff like that. But I've always, always enjoyed it. You know, there's thoughts too. You don't want to be blocking too many five on five because that means you're in your zone a lot, but uh, on the penalty kill and stuff like that. And especially in desperation times, like when, you know, those, those moments where it's, you either block it or it's in your net. I, I really think it's important. Whose shot were you scared of? Oh, uh, uh, Shea Weber's for sure. And Sheldon Surrey comes to mind too. And I, his was scary because I could never read where it was going off his blade. And most guys, like if they pull it or drag it a bit, even slappers, like most of the time you have a, you can be aware of which side of your body it's going on. Surrey, I had no clue. Did he know where it was going or was I don't, he? I don't think so. That's what made it so effective, right? If you don't know it's going in, but, and it was extremely heavy. And of course, Weber's is extremely, uh, extremely heavy, but, uh, the thing that saved me is I play left and he usually loads it up from the other side. So, uh, the right deal, eat those ones. Well, so will Chris Russell be getting a text, like move I'll over? Text, I'll text him now that you guys told me that I'm coming for you. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about your new teammates in Toronto. Um, there's a lot of interesting guys here, a lot of big names. Was there anybody that you saw from the outside and you got to know them from the inside and you said, that's different than what I expected or different than what I thought? Yeah, I, I would say uh, for me, it's Willie, Willie Nylander. I think, you know, from the outside, you don't really know he's a skilled guy, he, you know, looks like he, he's different, a little bit different, but uh, getting to know him, he's he's just a great guy, easy to talk to, super nice. And, you know, he has that confidence. You don't you don't get to know that till you get to know him personally. Like he has like 
a real confidence about him that goes a long way with his game and uh he's hilarious to be around he's just a funny guy you know you're not the first person to say that yeah. to me like the william nylander that we see on the outside and the william nylander you really get to know they're not what you think they're, it's they not, are no it's hard to explain but he's got a a really likable personality and he's he's hilarious he just every day it's something new with willie and it's it's funny there's not like a care in the world like no. <laughs> like nothing really bothers him he has that confidence mm -hmm. he'll wear like outrageous clothes one day and then the next day it'll be totally normal like it's just uh i guess the best way to explain him is like you're never really going to get a great read on him <laughs> he's just <laughs> he's just willie and do you keep in touch with any of the guys, your your friends from Calgary? Like oh, who are, of course. Like yeah. Aginla and all those guys you keep in touch yeah, with? like Iggy and the, and the guys who are retired, like through text here once in a while. They're, Iggy's really busy uh, with his kids now, I'm mm -hmm. I'm sure you know. And oh, then yeah. and then like Robin Regeer and guys like that. Funuf, Dion, I, mm -hmm. I still text once in a while. And, and then the active players, of course, like when, when things happen around the league or, or something happens, like, uh, you know. I was texting with Luch the other night when they got in a, a little brawl there with the Rangers. They had a game where they were just everyone was hitting each other. Yeah, and Rangers, it, was a, yeah. it was a great game. So we just chat back and forth and and talk. Did you ask Luch why he let Sammy Blaine knock him over? Oh, he was pretty upset about that. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, he was he was pretty upset. That's all I could say about that. <laughs> you know, we're all Sammy Blake got traded, so they won't be there for the rematch, and Jeff's all disappointed. Yeah. I know, that's on yeah. the 18th. Look forward to that one. Um, you know, I spoke to someone last night who said if there was a Selkie Trophy for defenseman, you'd be in the conversation every single season. Oh, that's cool. What is the uh, the part of your game that you take the most pride in? Oh, for sure, shutting down other teams' best players. I think that's uh, someone I've always. Like night in and night out, you look at the lineups, you look at who you're probably going to get matched up against, and I think it's important to, to always try and win your matchup. And, uh, you know, I think that's part of this year when, you know, you see Broads and Moe and Muzz go down. I mean, it's important for guys like me and Holler and, and the young guys who really stepped up, like, you better shut down these top guys on other teams or they're going to beat you. And uh, take a lot of pride in that, take a lot of pride in my defensive side of the game. It's always fun to play offense. I'm not going to lie, and and but you know, sort of as you get older and you realize uh, you're on a team like we are with guys like Riley, guys like Sandy, and guys like Lilligren, you almost have to say, listen, like it's their time to play on the power play and step up and play those minutes and get those minutes for the team. So I'm excited now to, to be looked at as a <laughs> shutdown D-man if I can later in my career. I wonder how many guys come up to you and ask you for advice. Like, just because you've been around, like, like how many of those guys say to you, what do you think about this, or how do I handle this? Yeah, they do. I, like, a bunch of the young guys on our team do. And they're, what uh, do they ask you? Like, just an example, like, I was talking to Connor Timmons about, uh, he was asking me about playing guys one-on-one -on -one out of the corners and how to play. And I, you know, I was explaining to him, uh, you know, when you're young, the tendency is to run and try and pin a guy in the corner and because that's what the coaches are telling you, close quick, close quick. And I said, you know, you better be aware who you're against because if you're against Sid or if you're against McDavid, they're waiting for you to run and they'll spin you and beat you and it's either a penalty or a goal against. So mm -hmm. little things like that. For me, watching young guys, what I, I was taught, like Mike Stuthers in, in uh, Owen Sound, yeah. he was huge on stick position and, and body position. And like for me, the one thing young guys can learn the most – at I mean, everyone's so skilled now and can skate and can move is like stick position and how much your stick can help you dictate where you want the guy to go. So little things like that, I'll try and help. And then, uh, 
other than that, just trying to make sure guys have confidence, right? That's the mm. number one thing. Try and pump them up when they do some some really well and uh, uh, not beat up on them too much when it goes <laughs> the other way. Well, that's the thing. Like at the beginning of this year, this, the year started poorly. It was a total loony bin in the city. And I know, I remember the media, so I'm as much as responsible for everyone yeah. as anyone. But like, I wonder like how much you helped those guys kind of just get through it. Like this is not going to last. Like we just got to play. Like how much do you do that? Yeah, it was important at the start of the year because it's like, it's like that every year. Like you lose the first game of the season, it's like holy cow, like we're not going to make playoffs, and it's like, well, we got eighty one left. So it's like that in every team I've played for, every city. But yeah, I think we have a pretty good group and a pretty good sense of that. Like we knew we were going to be a good team. You know, I'm not going to lie. After game eight or nine, we we're kind of like, okay, boys, it's time to go now. But uh, um, I just think it was about really simplifying and starting to play the right way we were mm -hmm. sort of up and down back and forth and it was on you know guys like john obviously are, are the leader and then myself and mo and those guys to like really make sure like there's a lot of noise we're okay though okay um how much longer do you think you're gonna play um i think that question depends a lot on uh if we win the stanley cup it'll it'll uh mm. it'll change my maybe my mind but i'm gonna go as, as long as i possibly can so i think looking at it today i got definitely another year after this obviously yes. with my contract but uh I think I, I'd like to go beyond that now. Th thinking about it today, like you could, like yeah. you at, like you're in great shape. You're still playing well. Yeah, your team respects you. Like you, you could play for a while as long as my skating can keep up and I can keep that uh, level of speed that I need to obviously keep up with these young guys flying around. I think I can read the game well enough where I can go for a few more years. The guy behind us on the wall played till he was 52. <laughs> like, you know, like yeah. and I was pretty I good. I always remember looking so. at Chelly too on the bench <laughs> when Chelios was on the bench and I'm like, wow, I don't know how that guy's going to, how's that guy's playing so late. But uh, yeah, I'll go, I'll go for a few more years for sure. But if you win the cup, you have a decision to make, you think? I do. I think, I think that'll be, you know, if we win it, that'll be, that'll be decision time as well. If I'm going to keep going or if I'm going <laughs> to, call it at that point but uh yeah so it might be it might be shorter a lot shorter <laughs> hopefully than uh i don't know then you win it and then you, there's another side of you that's like okay i want another i want, another, I want this feeling yeah. again again so what i'm saying is that's the only thing that'll change my mind that is going to make me stop I, I think i i think for sure i'm going to play this year out obviously next year out and then go from there we talked earlier about, you know, when you turn pro and, oh, I'd like to get a house and pay for the house <laughs> and have a car. It's a, you've done a lot of these things financially, you're secure. I am curious because you come in on a really team-friendly contract. And yeah. I think one of the things that, you know, a lot of fans too look at that and say like, we got Mark Giordano with this number. This is incredible. Some players want to get the most they can get at the end of their career. Yeah. Others have different ideas. Where's money at? Like on the, the ladder of things that's important to you right now, where's well, look, money? Well, um, look, I'm financially, obviously, I'm, I'm in a good spot. I, yeah. I can take care of my wife, my kids, you know, my family. So a lot of the decision in signing here for what I did was, you know, I'm not at a place where I need to chase the biggest contract I can find. It, it was more about what value does having my kids living in the same city as their grandparents, going to school here, being from here, my wife and I, I'm probably going to spend the rest of our, our lives here. What, what value does that mm. uh, mean to, to us as a family? And it meant a lot. So I, I, was, I was willing to, 
obviously sign for what I signed for here. And, and for me, it's, I'm at the point of my career where I want to obviously chance to win it and, and I'm chasing it here at the end. And I thought this was the best way to help the team in that sense. But as far as the other, other stuff, like I could have probably went to market and got a, a bit more money, but I was, I valued like living in Toronto with my family and the parents being around and all that a lot more. Here's my last one. You watched the Super Bowl the other night? Yeah. Okay, so Jeff and I are, are really po- taking polls on this question. You saw the penalty at the end of the game? Yeah. Mahomes, pressure, lofting one, end zone incomplete. Juju Smith-Schuster couldn't catch up. There's a flag at the 10. Hang on, there's a penalty. Call you like to see with the game on the line or call you wouldn't want game on the line? Not, not a call I want to see with the game on the line. Now, is that because you would be the guy doing the holding? Because <laughs> I'm a defenseman, yeah. <laughs> Fire to the pass, holding, number 24, defense, five-yard penalty, automatic, first down. Yeah, that's worst-case scenario. You'll see James Bradbury, they're going to say he grabs him. He's got his left hand on his back. I don't know. Mike, listen, I think on this stage... I, I think you let him play. Obviously, Mahomes thought he saw it. I think. Like, I saw a quote from Kyle Pozo where he said, that's not what I want to see. I'm just curious. Would NHL players want to see that call with the game on the line? No, I just think anytime you're in that, like that's such a high-pressure situation. I mean, I'm old school, I guess. I'd like to see it be a, a bad hold, if you're going to call it, mm-hmm. or just let, let the game play out at that point. Awesome. Okay, last one for me, and we're going to go in the Wayback Machine here a little bit. This was a wild situation. I'm going to go back to your American Hockey League career. I'm going to go to a game between Lowell and Norfolk, and you know where I'm going. Yeah. Ref, break brawl, referee breaks a leg. Yeah. It goes oh, on man. and on, man. and it go, there's a goalie fight I at the end. I think it all started because Brant Myers punched Trent Yanni, who was the coach, the coach. <laughs> on the other team. <laughs> yes, <laughs> he grabbed right. him by the tie and punched oh, him. Gosh, and, uh, just watch. End of the first period, Lock Monster and Admiral's players and coaches on the ice Reports an Admirals player was speared by a Lowell player. That even got Trent Yanni, the head coach, Mr. Mild-mannered himself, into the fight. And yes, everybody got into it. Even the goaltenders got into it, you can believe it. Look at this. It's like watching elephants fight when you see two goaltenders go. When things calmed down, over 119 minutes in penalties, several players on both sides, both head coaches tossed out all before the eyes of the league president, Dave Andrews, who just happened to be in attendance tonight at Scope. Oh, man, that was crazy. What do you remember from that? Because I'm fascinated by that whole, the, and the whole thing took about 10 or 12 minutes, I believe. And I've talked to a couple of people well, that the teams were involved are in the room. In like, the teams are in the rooms, basically. Half the teams and... Coaches are on the ice. Yanni's in a big... suit and he's getting hit. And the worst part about <laughs> Norfolk was you had to cross benches, and that's how it all started. So team, we came back out, crossed again, and... <laughs> But the thing I remember the most about it was all the tough guys, and there was a lot back then on each team. As soon as the brawl started, they all geared right down. They took their sh- Myers. They took their shoulder pads yeah. off, and it was more like shadow boxing. And like I learned a bit, I'm like, what? Why'd they do that? And it was so you, you couldn't just get grabbed onto and yep. suckered. So somebody had to come around and face you <laughs> if they were going to get you. <laughs> the lessons you learn in the American Hockey yeah. League. Wow. Was uh, was that the wildest thing in hockey you've been part of? That one and uh, the Calgary-Vancouver uh, Vancouver, brawl yeah. with Torts oh, yeah. and then right. Bob Harley. Oh, yeah. Those were the two that stick out for sure. And, uh, John Tortorella has gone over to the Calgary Flames hallway outside their room. That's the Canucks coach outside the Calgary room. There's Brian McGratton trying to push him aside with some of the Calgary staff. Okay, he's got to calm down. Yep. 
Shane O'Brien in the doorway with his gear off. And this is not over yet, Kelly. Again, this all started with the opening face-off of this game when Calgary started their fourth line and the Canucks responded yeah. with theirs and we had a full line brawl. There's Glenn Gullickson. You can't see him now. He was in the screen, the assistant coach for Vancouver, trying to get John Tortorella out of there. Torts coming down for all the way across, coming down the hallway. <laughs> it was, it was uh, crazy. We have to wrap this up, but I, I can't wrap it up. Without, what do you, did, you see him, did you see anyone get in the room? Like, you're in the room. What happened? So we're, we're getting in the room and uh, like it was just like we're all you're in a big pile and you're getting pressed back and forth and I think it was I don't know if it was McGratton or somebody like was holding basically back yeah. like Torch was trying to get in the room at Bob I guess at that point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, Are you concerned at all about any kind of supplemental discipline for going into the Calgary Hall? I have no idea what's going to happen. Can you just explain what you were? No, no, I'm not, I'm not speaking on that, Elliot. No, I'm not. That, that I'm not going to go there. Does but cross a line? I'm not going to go there. Please don't push me here. I'll answer your questions. I've I've tried to be as honest as possible with that, but I'm not going to go into the other stuff. It was just like we were in a big scrum going back and forth, and you're trying to get a look at who's there, who's there. And then <laughs> after the game, you find out it was Torts coming down. <laughs> <laughs> hockey day in Canada the spirit yeah, yeah. of hockey that awesome. was fantastic yeah. uh, this has been great continued success and a I guess pre-congratulations on breaking the shot block record <laughs> alright thank you appreciate it guys and that's Mark Giordano of the Toronto Maple Leafs really hope you enjoyed that taking us out today is a six piece musical collective from a small sleepy Welsh town CVC or Church Village Collective are influenced by Snoop Dogg Crosby, Stills, and Nash, and the Red Hot Chili Peppers. The group finds melodies in the most unique pockets and live by one universal message, peace and love and good times, stay real, stay true, and that's it. Why do I feel like Casey Kasem when I say that? From their 2022 debut record, Get Real, here's CVC with Music Stuff on 32 Thoughts, the podcast. You know, one of the things the solar eclipse, remember that, reminded us is people will travel to have unique experiences, see things, and be part of events. We all saw how people congregated in areas that had the best view, the best safe view. And they all had to stay somewhere, and many used Airbnb. I want to share something with you I was once told. One of the wisest things you can do when you host an Airbnb 
is find events in your area and let people in that community know that your place is available for out-of-towners. Many did this with the Eclipse. You can do this as well. Your home could be an Airbnb. Seriously, it doesn't have to be your whole place. I mean, it could be. You'd be surprised what people are looking for when they travel. It's simple and it's really, really smart. You might want to think about it. You could be sitting on a whole new revenue stream. Concerts, sporting events, conferences. People are always on the move. Your home may be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.ca slash host.